We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 166. Do you have any experience in event planning or management? I have a little bit with my college degree of communications, but when I think about all of the energy and organization that goes into managing a horse show, I just get so overwhelmed. That has to be one of the most multifaceted events, and our guest today was a full-time horse show manager for 10 years. She ran over 100 hunter-jumper shows in a 10-year run, which I just find incredible. She recently wrote a book about it so that other people who are interested could learn from her mistakes and learn from the things that went really well. And it's called Horse Show Manager's Guide, Organize Small Hunter-Jumper Shows. Today, she is the Dreamers and Schemers sales manager, but I wanted to get a little taste about what it's like to run a successful horse show and some tips and tricks that she might have. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Elizabeth McCowan. So I definitely want to hear the ins and outs of what it is like to run a horse show. I think that's super interesting and something that a lot of us listening have been a part of, but not the back end, the part that you are so good at, but would love to first hear about how you found yourself in the equestrian industry to begin with. Well, I think the equestrian industry finds us, to be honest. Totally. Yep. (laughs) Uh, We get drawn in and then uh, we meander our way around the industry in various ways. And uh, most of us just kind of don't really know how we ended up where we got. But I began teaching riding lessons when I was in university, having competed in, in my high school career. And I just loved being on the farm so much that when I finally graduated and moved on, I bought my own equestrian center and ran a big training facility in Ontario for quite a few years, Ontario, Canada. And with that came running some horse shows, some horse shows for my students and local barns. And it just grew and grew and grew. And I ended up running some horse show facilities and provincial and national shows and had a really great 10-year run. Wow. So when it started, was it more of like a schooling show capacity or what did that look like to begin with? Absolutely. It was a, my first show was a schooling show disaster. I made every mistake, but we just kept trying. And I had a very welcoming equestrian community as most equestrian communities are. And we just got better and better every year and pulled a great team together and ran some pretty awesome horse shows. That's so cool. So as you were growing that, and it seemed like it kind of just happened, (laughs) like you were a part of it, you started doing it, it got bigger and bigger. What were some, do you have some memories that kind of stick out in your head as far as things you feel like are, are horse shows that went super well? And then do you have any like fun stories or funny things that happen that stick out in your head? Well, how, how me running horse shows got bigger was we had 
a horse show facility not far from my home farm whose manager was leaving on maternity leave and she didn't have a replacement. And so I had taken my students to one of their shows and it was just falling apart. I mean, a show can't run without a manager. And so I went to the people in the office and I said, do you need some help today? Like, I can help you just kind of keep the show on track. And I did. I just helped them out for the day as most equestrians are willing to put in a helping hand. And at the end of the show day, they kind of said, can you come back? <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up into running some larger events. And it okay. was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> what do you find now that you've had that experience and maybe experiencing horse shows where either you are, you know, a spectator or you are showing or, you know, just attending? What do you feel like tends to be an oversight or like a common theme where kind of that role of the manager is so crucial? I think that as a show manager, I've been a trainer, I've been a competitor, Mm -hmm. I've been a show mom, like I've kind of worn all the hats. And I feel as though there is a great resource in the trainers and because they are the people that are signing their students up for the shows. They're the people who know what classes the kids are going to be showing in. They are the, they are really the go-to for figuring out how to run a great horse show when you're choosing your prize book and your scheduling. And I, I like that uh, a lot of show managers look to them for guidance and, and ideas on mm-hmm. how to make it a better exhibitor experience. Totally. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, because I know your current role is also as the Dreamers and Schemers sales manager. So tell me about how you kind of transitioned to that. Were you still managing horse shows? What, what did that look like for you in your life? Yeah, there was one overlap year and it was pretty interesting. Christy and I met probably 10 years ago and we were like instant best friends. And working with her has kind of started when she used to own a tack shop in Ontario and she was one of my sponsors at some of my shows. So we worked in a business capacity also as friends and when my kids started getting older and they didn't really want me working as much as I was during the summer months, I think my biggest season, I ran 21 events, which was crazy. Wow. (laughs) That was crazy, crazy. I mean, you work all year to put that together. Yeah. But Christy and I used to talk every day on my drive home from work and she was like, you know what? She's like, just come work for me. (laughs) And you were probably just like, oh yeah, okay. But I was like, like, so we ended up working together, Christy and I, before Dreamers and Schemers grew. And, you know, when you're starting a small business, it's usually a side hustle, which Mm -hmm. Dreamers and Schemers was at that time. We were just kind of trying to get it into people's hands so that they could see how awesome the socks were. Yeah. And 
we ran social media accounts together for various equestrian businesses. And when the when Dreamers and Schemers got big enough, we both started doing it full time, and it's been nonstop ever since. We we have a blast together. <laughs> oh, that is so fun. What do you feel like the work as a horse show manager did to prepare you for that? Do you feel like there's a lot of overlap? How does that how does that kind of coincide? I would say there's probably nothing that, <laughs> <laughs> that is other than my ability to like organize. Totally. Uh, as a show manager, you have to be able to organize and delegate. But I would say there's really nothing that overlaps other than knowing who your who your consumer is. Oh, like, that's true. Knowing who that person is and knowing you know, with Dreamers and Schemers, we want to be an inclusive society that is relatable. And so understanding who equestrians are and what their struggles are and try and bring them a smile after a hard day, like that's our goal. And I know those hard days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. So being able to relate is probably the best thing that I've brought forward into this position. Yeah. I, I would just love a behind the scenes look about what is all involved in managing horse shows. I know you recently wrote a book about all of that horse show manager's guide to organize small hunter jumper shows, which I think is incredible. But Give me a little like overview of what that would look like. Obviously, it's not just the weekend itself. It is all the time leading up to that. But yeah, give me a little rundown. Yeah, so organizing a horse show, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can do it. I've tried quite a few different ways, which I share in my book. And the, and the reason I wrote the book is to help people, give them some sense of what it's like to step into that role. And really, it's a very positive experience. It's, it's creating a space where equestrians can love the sport and continue doing the sport. And it's up to the show manager to create that sort of environment for them. So the first thing and the most important thing that I do want to talk about with you, Bethany, is for a horse show manager to decide their reason for running a horse show and stick to it. Like I ran a couple of different series in my, in my career. I would have like a schooling show series or a low level sanctioned show series that really embodied helping young riders and young horses, hopefully not at the same time, develop skills and, and learn to love the sport. And then I also created a horse show series that was preparing kids to go to championships. And it was a sanctioned show. And we would hire the best course designers and, and the best judges we could afford. And we would set courses that you would see at championships and everyone would show up turned out to their best and that was a completely different experience so when you're setting out to run a horse show you have to ask yourself like what type of competitor are you looking to have at your show and then move from there and create your why and set yourself up to serve so the 
the process of actually organizing the horse show can all fall nicely into place because you have a focus Mm -hmm. and you have a like an end result that you'd like to see got it if you if if someone listening is looking to start you know the the process in managing whether you know they want to start putting on a schooling show for their local area or what have you what kind of advice would you give them if they have the location but otherwise they're like pretty much starting from scratch like they were completely starting this new horse show ah uh. It, this is why I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Refer to chapter three. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there is so many things that a show manager has their hand in. Yeah. But the, the best advice that I can give to someone starting out is you can't do it all. You Uh can't do all the jobs. So if you... And a lot of people, including myself before I got good at it, have a difficult time delegating. And so understanding that if you don't know how to do something or you don't know how you're going to manage being two places at one time is being able to say, okay, well, I can get you know, this in-gate who can help me with that. I can get this show secretary who can help me with that. Sure. Like, I ran horse shows for 10 years, and if you asked me to be a show secretary, I would be the worst <laughs> show secretary on the face of the planet. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or, like, judging, I would just want everyone to get first place. Sure. Like, I would be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Only blue ribbon classes. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets first. Oh, you fell off. You should go again. Like yeah. I would be. <laughs> yeah. So understanding that you you have to know all the jobs, you have to know what they need, but don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed with all the different aspects of the show because it really is a team effort. Like if you don't, if I didn't have a great engate. I wasn't going to have a great show that day. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, that's part of it is pulling together a team is, is really what you need to do first. How do you, obviously over the years, I'm sure it did it itself, but in the beginning, how did you develop those connections and relationships with people that you ended up having come on for helping at these horse shows? That is that is true. Booking people early. Surprisingly, you know, when you start to try and find like good horse show staff, and if you're looking to become a staff at a horse show, definitely reach out to a horse show. They're always looking for someone to help them. And sometimes they don't know where to look. Like I sure. often didn't know where to look for ring crew in gates people who didn't have to have like a card Uh basically that weren't officials but i think that booking people early like your judges you want to book them eight ten months in advance and being kind to people so that they will continue to come back serving them so that they can do their best job and 
making it an environment that people that your staff want to come back to every year because once you as you said earlier like every year it gets a bit easier if you can keep those people on board with you and nurture those relationships you're going to end up having a fantastic show totally yeah yeah do you find when you were doing this were you more stressed out leading up to the event or during the event event I <laughs> I saw the event days as like my holiday. Love, yeah, love it. <laughs> because everything is already organized. It's already done. It's you're at the end. You can't you can't look for more prizes. You can't look for new classes. You can't actually do anything so other than help your staff. Yeah. So I saw those days, the show days as the vacation days, the days leading up to the show, like three to five days in advance were all the little things I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, those would be the I forgot days, so I couldn't mm-hmm. start anything new. But it's it can be quite a process, quite a long process, especially when you're looking at reaching out and getting sponsorships. That's a year-round mm-hmm. venture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you, and is that just again, you know, making connections, developing relationships? Did you tend to have the same sponsors at the same shows year in and year out, or how did that look for you? Yes, a lot of the time, your your smaller sponsors are going to be people you know. They're going to be clients. They're going to be places that you do business. So on. On a larger scale, if you're looking for larger sponsorships, those are ones that you really have to nurture and introduce yourself to. And then it becomes important to have like an updated website and social media and things that people who don't necessarily know you can get to know you through those avenues. Right. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Have you ever needed to fly your horse somewhere? The partners of Equijet have been well-established in the competitive horse world for over 20 years and have been in the import and export business for more than 15. With lifetime passions of riding, training, and taking care of horses, Equijet's expertise and knowledge of the nuances of equine travel are just unparalleled in the business. They really understand that comprehensive and clear logistical solutions to shipping needs are of the utmost importance, and they ensure that your horses are headed to their final destination with the proper documents, safety, of course, at all times. At Equijet, they are horse people first, dedicated to the well-being of your horse in transit and to its destination in top condition. Equijet's top priority is shipping your horses safely and with the highest amount of service, and their team is absolutely committed to professionalism, detail, and timeliness. So to find out more about Equijet and how they could be helpful for your shipping needs, you can visit Visit their website at equijet.com. That's E Q U I J E T.com. Thank you so much, Equijet, for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. Tell me a little bit about the idea of managing, especially with this last year of COVID and like not having horse shows for a while. How has that kind of changed the horse show dynamic in your eyes? 
I am so glad I don't run horse shows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it I just seems... It would, uh, <laughs> I think it would be a nightmare. I mean, my daughter is showing right now. My horse just had a uh, kissing spine surgery. Mm. So we're on a little rehab project. But in my area, not much has changed. I know that it depends on where you live right. as to what is going on. Unfortunately, we were locked down in my area for like, I don't even know, like nine months. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, but we we did what we could. A lot of people lost their show year. And as for managing horse shows, I mean, I think everything would have just been deferred to the next year with dates and timing and judges and contracts and yeah. (laughs) It just, yeah, it seemed like, especially in the beginning and when things were coming back up again, it was just so many unknowns and is stuff going to change week to week? Like you never, I don't know. It just seems so up in the air. Yeah, totally. Like last year when all the ponies were coming to pony finals and then they Uh just canceled after You know, people are trailering in and the show got canceled. I almost uh, I felt so horrible for all I those know. kids. Oh, yeah. Really that have been dreaming for this moment for so long. Absolutely. And worked yeah. so hard to get there. And mm-hmm. just what do you do, right? Yeah. Yep, do you exactly. Do? Tell me a little bit about the... A little bit about your book, about Horse Show Manager's Guide. What, obviously, you recognized a hole in the industry that needed to be filled. Talk to me a little bit about that and then what your process was like in writing this, how long it took you, what topics you knew you wanted to cover. How did that all go? Yeah, you know, I've I've completely changed my career. I mean, I'm still in the equestrian industry and I think a lot of us during the COVID craziness kind of had a moment to sit back and reflect, although Dreamers and Schemers was insane during COVID. We had yeah. such a great year. But I realized like, hey, Elizabeth, you've got 10 years of horse show experience uh-huh. management. And I really want to give back to the community and share the information that I learned. And in my in my book, you can find out like what worked for me, what didn't work, what I, what I spent money on that I just wasted, what, you know. <laughs> wow, that's I, so valuable. <laughs> yeah, so it really is a very, you know, humble approach to a smaller farm or someone who's looking to rent a facility to run some small horse shows and give them some qualified advice on how it works. Like I retired in 2017 and I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to help someone manage their show or, you know, give advice or this or that. And I thought, you know what, I can help way more people if I just write a book. (laughs) Yeah. And then to keep it interesting, I've included like some true stories that show what can happen at a horse show. I mean, it can be a very high energy, high emotional place. And as a show manager, you've got to be able to navigate that. So I I share some funny stories, some sad stories of things that have happened at my horse shows. 
Cool. I mean, that's, yeah, I feel like that that is such an amazing guide for, you know, your specific audience that is looking to do that, but is just so overwhelmed with, with like no idea of how to start. So having that passion, I feel like is kind of at the core and what maybe are the, that niche of people is led to your book. And then the fact that you just dump all this knowledge on them from your 10 <laughs> years of experience. Haven't you done over like a hundred horse shows? I have. I so have. Crazy. I added it up when I wrote the book and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is- I had a, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when it was time yeah. to actually publish. And I think that probably happens to like absolutely anyone who's putting themselves out there. Sure. And I sat on this book for three or four months, finished it, but I sat on it feeling like, oh, do I even have the authority to put this out there? And then Mm -hmm. I thought, Elizabeth, you've like, (laughs) you've run so many horse shows. Like it's, don't be so silly. (laughs) And you've managed to write an entire book about a topic. So I would say, you know, enough about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's always more, like every time I look at it, I think I'm going to have to come out with the second edition Mm. because there's just, there's always more. And there's also links in the book to get to like budgets you can download and like information you've got to have in your prize book and that kind of stuff that a lot of horse people, you know, we're not so great with spreadsheets and that kind of thing. So I kind of created them for you. Wow. That (laughs) sounds amazing. Where can people uh, buy your book? You can get it absolutely everywhere. You can get it. You can ask your local bookstore to bring it in. You can ask your local tax shop to get it for you. It's on all everywhere. Barnes Amazing. and Nobles, Amazon, Kobo, Kindle. Oh, I love um, it. Yeah. It's all over the place. Awesome. And you can even get it for free if you ask your library to bring it in. Nice. That's amazing. Well, tell me a little bit about an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Ah, Bethany, you got me on this one. I struggled. (laughs) I did. I struggled with, I I thought I've got to come up with a really good answer to this one (laughs) (laughs) and something relevant. And I thought, you know what? The Olympics is on right now, or it's just finishing, just Mm -hmm. finished anyway. And I read a news article about a couple of horses that showed without shoes. Yes. And everyone is aghast. I mean, it's wild, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I have no opinion either way, but what, I would like to bring attention to is I would love for horse owners to start questioning their beliefs and looking at maybe beliefs that are limiting them, like whether it's like personal goals and you have a belief that's limiting you with Mm -hmm. your horse or whether it's horse care and you have a belief that's limiting you, just keeping an open mind and and loving and enjoying your horse in the most knowledgeable way you know how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also being okay with the fact that that might change and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, like take Olympics aside and the shoeless horse aside, like 
we're taught to mount our horse on the left side, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you have to mount your horse on the left side. Well, you really don't. And that was created so that you wouldn't stab your horse with your sword when you were right. in the cavalry. Right. Right. So it's these beliefs that get passed on. And of course they had some sort of use at one time, but it's just saying like, is that true? Like, mm-hmm. why is that? And I just would love to encourage equestrians of all levels to just ask themselves if their beliefs are actually benefiting them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so, that's such a good point. And it, I think it definitely stems from the idea of just kind of the why behind what, like, you know, behind the things that we do. And do we really know it? Cause I bet, I bet there's people listening that didn't know that that's why we mount on the left side. That's and right. so, and that, which is, which is fine, but it's like that, that's a great reminder for all of us to look into things like that and know the why behind what we do. And then like what you were saying, take that step further and really be open-minded in the sense that, is this the best for me? Is this the best for my horse? Is this the, the best, what, what's best for horse A? might not be the best for horse B. And so being able to have that mentality that it's like my way or the highway type of feel. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, we, we end up inheriting other people's beliefs Mm -hmm, and, and they might be fantastic beliefs, but it's just knowing why that I just like everybody encourage everyone to take a look. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a, I think that that's a, a really, really great point. Um, as far as, I mean, obviously you've now been on the education end of the equestrian industry, having your book and being able to share all of your knowledge. Where would you start if you are wanting to, you know, get more information, let's say about these horses going barefoot in the Olympics, where do you, where would you recommend people finding out this information or kind of this why behind why we do things? Well, I would start within your own community. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no end all be all like forum or magazine or Wouldn't that be nice though? I know, right? (laughs) Horse Google. Yeah. Just (laughs) checked equestrians. (laughs) I would definitely, you know, talk to your trainer and Mm -hmm talk to your veterinarian and talk to your farrier and be involved in your horse's life. Like I, I, you spend maybe two, three hours with your horse a day if you're lucky and your horse has another like 21, 22 hours a day without you. So Mm -hmm. speaking to the people who are close to your horse or people that you respect and you feel are knowledgeable in your industry are the best place to start. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great point. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share all of your knowledge. I think that there are so many people who will be so excited to read your book, Course Manager's Guide to Organize Small Hunter Jumper Shows. I think that that's brilliant. Thanks for giving us a little insight of what that looked like for you. And I'm just so excited to see. I, I, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to like go <laughs> grab it right now because I think even though I'm not looking to start up a horse show or manage one anytime soon, I feel like it is stuff that that's just important knowledge to know being 
and you know a trainer or attending a horse show and just understanding how something that's such a big part of my annual schedule is to kind of understand the ins and outs of. So I really appreciate you taking the time, you know, to do that and understand it and really narrow in on how to make that successful and then sharing it with all of us. Well, thank you. You can find out in there why you pay late fees. Ah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, if anything else. <laughs> why do oh, I pay fee? It's in there. So uh-huh. but- Thank you so much for having me, Bethany. It's been great talking to you today. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.